Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. with some good news. Uh, these are two good news stories internationally. One is an international religious freedom story out of Uzbekistan. I know. See, I get up early and read the headlines that you do not so that you can have some joy. First thing out of the gate. All right, here's some welcome news. Uh, this is coming from the U.S. ambassador to Uzbekistan. Um, there's a job for you. Okay, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Let's not forget that. So you have a big high position today as well. Uh, welcome news. This is, again, from the U.S. ambassador to Uzbekistan. Good news. Uh, Uzbekistan released or pardoned over 1,500 citizens unjustly imprisoned on religious grounds since 2016. Combined with new uh, procedures for registering religious organizations, we are seeing very positive steps toward greater religious freedom. So you want to celebrate that. Every Every place and every time and in every way, um, people have the right to, uh, well, the governments recognize the inalienable right of every person to exercise their religious freedom. You and I should celebrate. That is a positive step um, no matter where it takes place. All right. There is a historic flight taking place right now. It departed from Israel at 11.30 a.m. local time. It is due to land about the midpoint of this hour's show. So I would like for us to pray right now. This is the first flight. I'm calling it a peace flight. uh, The first flight from Israel to the UAE. And uh, uh, El Al, which is the airline, actually painted the word peace in Hebrew, in English, and in Arabic on the plane. It's the first commercial flight from Israel to the UAE. Um, and it is a literal sign, a literal sign of, of peace flying overhead right now. Uh, Jared Kushner, son, son-in-law of the president of the United States, the lead U.S. diplomat in brokering the historic deal, which we talked about last week. Um, he is Jewish. He said, I prayed yesterday at the Western Wall that Muslims and Arabs from throughout the world will be watching this flight, recognizing that we're all children of God and that the future does not have to uh, be determined, predetermined by the past. Now, I know there are those of you who are going to take issue with Jared Kushner's declaration that we're all children of God, so I recognize that. Um, let's put, let's hit a pause on that conversation for just a moment, and let's remember how this all started, how this all started. When Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands and failed to wait on God to deliver the children he promised, Abraham conceived of a child with Hagar. And the Arab world was literally born. So we cannot have a conversation today about a peace flight from Israel to the UAE without understanding the hostility between the descendants of Isaac, whom we know as the Jews, and the descendants of the 12 sons of Ishmael, whom we know as the Arabs, particularly northern Arabians. This is a persistent uh, hostility 
and it's been persistent for millennia. It's difficult to overstate the significance of the flight that's taking place right now and the risks associated with it. So let's pray. Father God, we uh, we recognize the desire of your heart that everyone would come to know you in Jesus Christ. And so this is a conversation taking place half a world away between two people groups, neither of whom are Christian, but whose hostility toward one another is historic and about which you care deeply. And so we would be a people today who would be praying for peace. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray for the peace of the Arab world. And we pray for the peace which passes all understanding in Jesus Christ, that somehow, in some way, this would be an opportunity for you to make him known to others. Amen. All right, we're going to turn our attention now uh, to the coronavirus. More than 25 million people have been infected worldwide. Uh, We are going to talk with Dr. Zach Jenkins um, about the latest headlines. We'll be right back. It's good to have you back again. Oh, hey, Joining me now, Dr. Zach Jenkins. Uh, Zach is, uh, he has a PhD in pharmacology. He serves as a professor of pharmacy practice, a practitioner of adult internal medicine and infectious disease in northeastern Ohio. Zach, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Did I get any of that wrong? I'm working so hard to come up with a... <laughs> Like an honest... I, don't, I don't have a PhD, but that's okay. <gasps> All right. So, it, 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 so the D is a doctorate. What? So, explain that to us, because you know we don't know. We don't understand. D. It's a farm D. So it's a doctorate of a pharmacy. A farm D. It's a doctor of pharmacy, but it's not a PhD. Oh yeah, that's because that's a different crowd. Okay, there you go. There's no. There's not a lot of philosophy involved. Okay, thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. I'm scratching out the PH. Okay. That's quite um, all right. Let's 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 lead off with the most interesting coronavirus uh, headline um, on your radar: the ninety-four percent. Yeah, so I actually was uh, going through some some different uh, information over the past couple of days here, and I noticed that there's this information going on around Facebook from a CDC report indicating that about six percent of all people infected with COVID nineteen. Um, had a cause of death on their death certificate of just listing COVID-19. So there's some issues with that. Um, so so I'll tell you from the hospital side of things, the way this typically works is when you have someone come in the door, um, and I'll use, I'll use an example. So someone comes in, let's say they have COPD, that's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and they come in during flu season, and their, their COPD is acutely worsened. In a case like that, what ends up happening if they were to die from that, it would probably list the flu and an exacerbation or a worsening of that chronic obstructive pulmonary disease on their death certificate. So, so why that's an important thing to note is the according, according to the data by the CDC, 94% of all deaths had some kind of trigger, um, which was the COVID-19 piece associated with a lot of these chronic conditions that put people at a higher risk of death. Okay, so um, they've, they've died. I mean, and other than a statistical conversation about which category, um, well, I guess let me ask this question. 
is it critical that they end up on the right list in terms of cause of death? And is it legitimate in your view um, to put them in one place versus the other? I, I think it, it I mean, don't we all ultimately to... don't don't we all ultimately die because we stop breathing and our heart stops pumping and our brain goes to sleep? I mean, sure, sure. I think okay. I think what it comes down to though is is the filter by which we interpret the data that that is is shared with us. Good. So basically, what I've seen a lot of um, via social media is there's this six percent number that's thrown around implying that. Basically, no one is at, at risk. When here, here's a good comparator. So, roughly one in three adults in the United States has hypertension, high blood pressure. High blood pressure itself is considered one of these different factors that someone could potentially uh, die from. It puts people at a higher risk when you think about COVID-19. So that's one in three adults. Uh, roughly one in ten adults also has diabetes. So again, that same population is at a higher risk of COVID, um, and, and then that same data was kind of reported out that way. Interestingly enough, people that have diabetes also tend to have high blood pressure, um, also tend to have other other cardiac abnormalities, other heart abnormalities. So they're they're at a higher risk of of complications from those diseases in general. But when you add something acute like a bacterial pneumonia, the flu, a virus, there there are complications from those. Are more significant, so so that's kind of the big concern when you look at the data. Um, so I think we have to we have to do we have to look at this data and say like, how can we risk stratify people? How can we group people mm. by risk, as opposed to saying, well, that means that no one's really at a risk? Because again, if you look around, one in three adults has high blood pressure, as an example. You know, it 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 feels like there's so many puzzle pieces here that are. Um, maybe connecting for people for the first time. Um, and so when even when we look at, let's say, there's a higher percentage of, uh, of deadly cases of COVID-19 um, among particular uh, segments of the population, African-American, um, Hispanic-American, there's also a higher incidence of diabetes in some of those communities or the Native American community. And so, um, and then that's, exists maybe because we have these food deserts and lack of access to really healthy food or a generation that didn't grow up um, desiring to, you know, snack in the direction of a carrot, right? Okay, so um, I know that that's, it's kind of simplified, but um, we have a lot of challenges in terms of persistent health concerns. When you say one in 10 Americans has diabetes, I'm a little shocked by that number. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And, and there is some differences based on age group. And, and I think that's pretty well reflected in the CDC data, too, when you talk about um, the, the total deaths in these different categories. So the very young are not usually as impacted by this. Um, but when you start talking about people um, above the age of 35, uh, particularly people in their, in their 50s onward, they're at a bigger risk of a lot of these chronic health conditions. All right. We're hearing that there's a uh, possibly a new cheap test that might be a game changer. We've also got kids back to school. When we come back, uh, Zach's going to pick one of those headlines and we're going to talk about it. We'll be right back. You say come to Continue my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. All right, Zach, let's uh, let's go back to school 
um, um, for a moment. A lot of lot of angst related to this. Um, what uh, what's the latest on tracking school related cases or just going back to school? Uh, well, well, I think I'll start by just kind of sharing, you know, from the college perspective, um, that's that's certainly been a hot topic lately. So we've had some universities around the country that have had um, some significant outbreaks and students have come back. And one big thing that, that's kind of been a trigger is it's not really happened so much in the classroom. It seems like it's actually happened more out in the world. So as people kind of gather together in a lot of the social settings, um, like like house parties and that sort of thing, that's been a big trigger for, for some of these different outbreaks. And it's caused some universities to actually shut their doors and, and push people online. Um, there was a case in Ohio here, uh, and it was at Ohio State University, where there they had a gathering, I think, of over 200 people. And th- this was something that the school didn't sanction. Well, as a result of that, there, there was a lot of concern for some outbreaks, and the university itself ended up suspending 220-some-odd people for the rest of the semester. Um, mm. They had violated an agreement that they had signed not to do those types of things. So that that's kind of been a real hot topic lately. Um, I, I have so much confusion related to the, the myriad ways in which um, schools are regathering in uh, in various and sundry places. Um, you know, we we've begun to hear from some governors who've like given given schools permission uh, at least to consider regathering. Um, we now have a, a whole new situation on the Gulf Coast in the Lake Charles region where, you know, they've got every school is decimated. And I found myself wondering, were they not prepared to go virtual? And then I realized all the power lines are down and there's no Internet. There's no data. Um, so kids couldn't get online, even if you were prepared to do it virtually. Um, you know, when your when your infrastructure is wiped out, not just the physical buildings, but, um, you know, but the but the ability for kids to get online, um, you're just instantly paralyzed. I know there was a Zoom outage last week and that just knocked uh, most school districts in the country offline for a period of time. Um, so I do think it's stressful. I do think it's going to continue to be challenging. And um, and I just think we have to prepare ourselves uh, for a, a very, very, very strange academic year. All right. Let's talk about the pangolin. I um, I surfaced this at the end of our conversation last week so that you would have a week to research um, this armored uh, anteater. That's how I'm going to describe him. If you've never seen a picture of a pangolin, it looks like a uh, well-armored Anteater, and it is. Uh, it may be there are accusations that uh, trafficking in the pangolin started the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, so so really, that all comes back to the wet markets in China, and, and from the beginning, um, there's been a lot of concern that there are some odd animals being consumed over there that are real, really big carriers for the the coronavirus. And and originally, the the big thought was that it was likely a bat um, or, or some kind of bat species of some sort, wherein that was the primary reason that COVID emerged. So they think that that could have been a source. What we don't know is kind of the margin for error, because the bats themselves, they said, was like 94% similar to that current COVID strain that's running around. Um, and, and the pangolin is actually thought to be a little bit more similar and so that's kind of been one of the big focuses lately, that this this endangered species um, could, in fact, actually have been the real trigger. Wow. OK, so um, because I know that in addition to helping people's systems work better and recover, 
um, you also have a passion for the great outdoors. I have two Yellowstone headlines that I couldn't resist. And my my segue to them is that the pangolin is also a creature. And so uh, here are my two creature headlines, and uh, I'm just going to let you reflect on them. So we have a headline um, related to bison. And actually, apparently, people are not only having uh, bison encounters that are dangerous in Yellowstone, but also in South Dakota. I've got a headline today from Antelope Island State Park in uh, in Utah. Um, so I want to talk about the bison and roaming around with the bison out there in, in the wilderness. And then apparently it is also elk mating season. And so now there is new concern um, related to people getting uh, tangled up with elk. Talk with us a little bit about hiking in the wild with wild animals. <laughs> That's quite a segue. Um, no, I, I think... Uh... So I'll tell you, I, I've had a lot of experience with, with bison in, in insofar as, you know, being out in Yellowstone and some other places out west where they'll come right up next to vehicles just kind of crossing the road. Um, and people people kind of uh, ignore that and sort of decide that they're going to try to go play the, with the animals, feed the animals, pet the animals. And then as a result, what ends up happening with bison is they're they're big, strong, muscular animals they will sometimes gore people um and, and so that's where you see a lot of injuries happen and then they get very familiar uh this is actually not, not why i was hiking but i was staying at a cabin once uh, this was black bears but out out in the smoky mountains we had black bears trying to climb the cabin because people had uh you know fed the bears tried to get a little too friendly with them and uh, we had to run everyone inside the cabin and try to try to make sure that none of the kids were out so that was interesting um, but yeah, so I, I think uh, we have to be respectful of the uh, wonderful world that God has made. We have to be fearful and respectful of it. Well, so I just figured since you have a passion for hiking, you've been to Yellowstone, you could give everybody a little, uh, you know, a little heads up um, and just be mindful that creatures are creatures. They're not people and you can't reason with them. Um, and they do things that are completely unexpected because it's instinctual for them and not for us. So like their minds go places ours don't. Absolutely. I mean, I, was, I don't, I don't really have, I know, I, I realize that I'm asking you to reflect on something that is technically out of your, um, uh, it's not out of your depth in terms of your ability to talk about it. It is though, however, not in your um, sort of regular wheelhouse. So I just appreciate your willingness to go there in conversation. I feel like I know you well enough now to, you know, ask you random questions about virtually anything. It's dangerous. No, it... It's dangerous to come on the show this regularly. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun topic, though. <laughs> it is a fun topic. Okay, so we certainly, uh, you know, our our prayers go out um, to the family of the person who did lose his life over the weekend, no joking matter, um, to the when he was gored by a bison um, in Utah. Um, but we just really want to uh, invite you to be vigilant out there. Um, the virus is, you know, afloat um, and and the world is a wild place. So please be vigilant today, uh, no matter where you are driving or walking or, um, you know, I don't know, keep your arms and legs in the vehicle at all times. Is that good? Good. As you roam. How's that sound, Zach, as a walk-off? <laughs> I, I love the walk-off. That's fantastic. All right. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you next week. That's Zach Jenkins from... Oh, no, we won't. No, we won't. Next Monday is um, Labor Day. We're taking the day off. You are taking the day off. We're not, but you are. Okay? All right. Sounds good. All right. Two weeks. Two weeks. We got Zach back in two weeks. We'll be right back.
Does God exist? Uh, It's one of those primary questions. Um, In fact, it's the primary question. It's hard to get to any other question um, unless you are settled on the answer to this first and primary question. So next up, uh, Richard Simmons, not the TV fitness instructor, but the founding director of the Center for Executive Leadership. It's a faith-based ministry in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Richard has written a number of books. His latest is this book, Reflections on the Existence of God. He really is asking and seeking to answer that really big question. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me. Oh, no, not joining me now. Sorry. Okay, so I misspoke a minute ago. Actually, I might have just kind of lied. I know it's terrible, but sometimes you just have to confess something that you did wrong. So I said that uh, next week we wouldn't have uh, Zach because on next week on Monday is uh, Labor Day. But then I said, so we talked to him in two weeks on Monday. Actually, that's not going to happen either because two weeks uh, from today, we are going to be in the midst of our Faith Radio Fall Share. So uh, maybe Paul could work on getting Zach on. We'll, We'll have Tuesday. Maybe we'll have Monday on Tuesday next week since we're going to miss Zach the week after next. Anyway, Paul will work on all of that. Um, Here's what you need to know. In two weeks, we're going to have fall share. And you might say it doesn't really feel like fall outside. Um, It is. And this is uh, a a week during which we share the stories that you have shared with us about how what we do, um, God has used in your life to move the gospel forward, to touch you, to encourage you. Um, So you share stories with us. And then we share those stories during the week of share, and we invite others um, to join in the ministry as financial support. So thank you for those of you who already financially support this listener-supported ministry. Um, We actually exist because of the generosity of wonderful listeners like you. Um, And then let's all be prayerfully uh, preparing for fall share, September 13 to 17. Starts two weeks from today. If you would like to offer a testimony Um, about the way God has used Faith Radio in your life so that we can share it during Share. Paul, do they just call 877-933-2484? They can call that number. They can text that number. Just text the word give. They text the word give, but what if they have a testimony? What if they have a... Oh, yeah, then they want to go to our our Faith line and tell us their testimony there. That's one of the options. If they call in, that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what we're going to suggest. Call in 877-933-2484. Um, the menu uh, is going to give you an option to record something on the faith line. That's what you're looking for. Or you can always share your testimony by sending us an email. Uh, I'm Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Anyway, we'd love to hear your stories about how God uses this ministry to touch you and your life uh, and your relationships in order that we can share that good news with others and inspire them to participate in the ongoing ministry with us. So there you go. Share with us now and share with us during Fall Share. We'll be right back. Ever slapped a punishment on your kid because you were mad? Ever reacted to the situation before thinking? If you're like me, you can answer yes. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Spur-of-the-moment discipline isn't the wisest parenting move. It may make us feel better when our 15-year-old really messed up, but it doesn't really build long-term positive lessons for kids. Popping off under pressure is generally counterproductive. Instead, set rules and consequences beforehand, making sure they're in line with what you believe. Then when things get heated and tense, you'll already have the details laid out. 
So next time, count to 10 and let your plan unfold. Find more parenting help from Mark Gregston at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Richard Simmons III is the founding director of the Center for Executive Leadership. It's a faith-based ministry in Birmingham, Alabama, focused on uh, counseling businessmen and other professionals um, to, you know, I would say, align what they're doing in the world of work with who they are as, uh, as God's people in the world. Richard is the best-selling author of The True Measure of a Man, Reliable Truth, The Power of a Humble Life, um, and more. He is here today to talk about his newest book, Reflections on the Existence of God. Richard, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, thank you, Carmen. It's an honor. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. This is quite an audacious undertaking, um, and yet it is a question that literally every person has asked and does ask today, does God exist? Why um, Why tackle this in a book? Well, I've been... Uh, uh, I've really been working on this book. I worked on it for almost 30 years. I was writing other books in the uh, in the interim, but this was a book that I always intended to write at some point in my life. And one of the things that I began to realize is that uh, you see this great rise in atheism uh, in not only our country but around the world. And it, 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 I, re- I reached a point where I felt like the time has come. Uh, and this was validated back in the fall when I was watching a, a news program and the uh, they went to a uh, commercial break, and the ad was uh, an ad promoting atheism. In fact, the spokesman was Ronald Reagan's son, Ron, who closed the uh, uh, the ad by saying, "I'm a lifelong atheist, and I'm not afraid of, of, of burning in hell." And I thought I was shocked that this was this was a, this was a, a nationwide uh, program, and the ad, they were promoting atheism. So that really just validated that, that this had happened. And my real intent was to write a very well-researched book that is easy to read. Um, it's divided into 10 sections, uh, it's fit, the total of 57 short essays that you can read in less than 10 minutes. And uh, uh, I feel like, you know, I, I pulled it off. So the uh, I feel like this is... Um almost a natural follow-on to Reliable Truth, The Validity of the Bible in an Age of Skepticism, which is another one of your books. Um, And, you know, ultimately, either God exists or he does not exist. There's, as you say, no third option. And so the relationship of this book um, and the truth and the truth pursuit, there's there's some intimate connectivity between those two. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, in fact, in the very first section, I talk about uh, the significance and importance of us uh, being willing to follow the truth wherever it leads you. And that's a real problem. Um, so many people, they, they really like the truth when it's taking them in a direction that they'd like to go. Uh, but when it begins to take them in a direction they don't want to go, they balk. It's kind of like when C.S. Lewis said, um, as he was on this spiritual search before he became a Christian, he says, he says, my mind was taking me in a direction uh, that my heart did not want to go. And so much of this, this issue, Carmen, when it gets right down to it, is not so much intellectual as it is an act of the will. It's kind of like Mortimer Adler, uh, one, one of the most famous philosophers ever. I uh, became a Christian at the age of 82, but for years, he says, looking back, he said, I, I really 
strongly considered becoming a Christian. He said, but I realized when it got right down to it, I didn't want to live the Christian life. And he lived to be 98 years old. And, and then during that period of being a, a believer for 16 years, he looked back and said, I've come to the conclusion that when it gets right down to it, um, when it comes to faith, it's not so much intellectual as it is an act of the will. And I, 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 I elaborate on that in the book and could talk to you a long time about it, but I know we're limited. So, Well, it's, um, it, it's an excellent uh, invitation both to believers who want to be equipped to have these conversations in the culture today and for people um, who are not believers. Um, and I wouldn't even go so far as to people who are, you know, I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's helpful for people who, like, think they're atheists because it does ask the God exists question. But I, I'm feeling like skeptics, people who doubt, young people who are searching, um, that the world is offering them lots of other answers um, and contrary narratives and storylines, not only about God, but then about themselves and everyone else, um, life and everything in it. And so you take us back to what has to be the primary question, um, and that is the question of whether or not God exists. Um, how does a person functionally pursue the truth? Well, first of all, I think you have to be willing to love the truth and that you want to pursue it. Uh, I was thinking about this just last night. I've wondered how many uh, uh, atheists have really taken a good, hard look at the evidence for God, um, because the the evidence is compelling. I, I mean, I lay it all out in the book, and I wonder how many people uh, have really looked at the evidence. And I, that's one of the things that really strikes me. I mean, I, I talk about Francis Collins, probably the most celebrated uh, scientist in the world today. Um, when he was confronted, as a, he was a, in his uh, probably mid-30s as an atheist, he was confronted with the fact that, <clears throat> am I an atheist because I've looked at the evidence and come to that conclusion, or am I an atheist because that's the way I want it to be? And so he began a search for truth, for spiritual truth, and he became a Christian. But what's so interesting, Carmen, is he says, most of the atheists I meet today were just like I was. They've never looked at any evidence. And that's what scientists do, he says. You know, we look at evidence and we come to conclusions. But when it comes to faith, he says, most everyone I know does not look at the evidence. Have you actually looked at the evidence? Richard Simmons III has spent uh, a few decades thinking about this question. This book has been in process for some 30 years. It is a compilation of essays, Reflections on the Existence of God. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. There is a God Continuing my conversation with Richard Simmons III, let me invite you um, to his website, which is Richard Simmons Three, the number three, richardsimmons3.com. Uh, there you can find information about this book, Reflections on the Existence of God, um, all of Richard's other books, as well as uh, a, a blog and, uh, and his Reliable Truth podcast. Richard, uh, my audience knows that one of the things that I love in books is, uh, is the things that come at the end, often after the conclusion. And so after the conclusion in your book, you have an afterwards, and it's about making a choice. Talk with, right. us, about, talk with us about the choice that 
exists for each one of us in relationship to arriving at the place where we acknowledge that God exists, there's still a choice to make. Right. Well, uh, let me one quick quick correction. It's Richard E. Little E. Simmons. Oh, look at that. There's an E in there. I'm I'm actually looking at the at the URL and I missed that. Richard E. Simmons three. E and three, they rhyme. Richard E. Simmons three. There you go. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, really, really good question. Um, You know, I I go through uh, all these different sections and talk about evil, morality, uh, uh, science, uh, evolution, just a a host of issues. But you get to the end. And let me just say this. I believe that, that clearly the evidence for the existence of God is powerful and compelling if you're willing to look at it. But when you get to the end and you conclude that God exists, you got to ask yourself, well, who is this God? Uh, does he have a name? And, of course, uh, in my mind, the only way we could know who God is is for him to step into our world and reveal himself. And, of course, uh, that's what Jesus has actually done. And there's a whole section on Jesus, um, which is, you know, to, to me, the evidence for Christ being the Son of God um, is is very strong. I mean, it's very powerful if, if you're willing to look at it. Um, but then, uh, you know, once you come to the conclusion that he is, you have to make a choice. It's, it's one thing to believe it in your head. It's another thing to be willing to surrender and enter into a relationship with him. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that is really the, the, one of the real purposes of the book is to, uh, let people know that you have to make a choice just like as a, a man and a woman have to make a choice to, to get married or not. You have to make a decision. Do I want to enter into a relationship with him or do I not? So, Richard, let me um, let me uh, segue, if, if we can, to um, a slightly different conversation. Okay. So it, because um, I do think that you have so many ministry resources available at the website that I, I really don't want people to miss the podcast, the Reliable Truth podcast. I don't want them to miss um, the blogs that you post. Um, And again, it's richardesimmons3.com. So in addition to having a conversation today about Reflections on the Existence of God, which is Richard's excellent new book, um, Richard, let me me, uh, pull up this this blog post from August the 7th. Um, Theism's strongest argument. Theism's strongest argument is science? Yeah, hard to believe, isn't it? But it clearly is. In fact, uh, uh, both uh, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens uh, acknowledge that this is a very difficult issue for them as atheists uh, to explain. Um, And it's the fine-tuning of the universe. Uh, Some call it the anthropic principle. Um, But astrophysicists will tell you that there are 122 variables that really need to be dialed into perfect precision uh, in order for this universe to exist, for our world to exist, and for us to have life on this earth. Um, you know, one that most people know, one of the 122 that most people know is that, that the, uh, the earth is 94 million miles away from the sun. And if we were a few miles closer to it, we'd burn up. If we were a few miles um, back from it uh, or away from it, well, we would freeze to death and there'd be no life. But, but we have, the, the world has been just in, in perfect order with the sun for, I mean, thousands and thousands of years. And Fred Hoyle, who is a very famous astronomer, 
uh, and he was an atheist as well, was really troubled when he when he saw this, and he made this famous statement. He says it appears that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics and chemistry and biology, and so this is very difficult for atheism to contend with ex- to explain. Uh, how finely tuned this universe is. It's almost as if, and they even acknowledge it, it, it is as if someone designed it. Yeah. <laughs> it is, right? And it all works together, and, um, and, and it's mysterious, and there's things about it that we're still um, discovering. Uh, you know, apparently scientists arrived at the conclusion sometime last week that, oh, the Earth is not actually as old as they uh as they have been saying, but it's still, you know, they're still using um, understandings of, of length of time and events that are pretty extraordinary. And um, and so I do think that Christians have to be able to engage in the conversation in a way Absolutely. that that respects um, people who arrive honestly at scientific conclusions that we do not share. It, it's, just, uh-huh. it's just very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that uh, um, when it gets right down to it, though, you've got to be willing to say, um, I, I desire to follow the truth wherever it leads me, because I'm finding that so many people are not willing to do that. And mm-hmm. that's really kind of at the heart of this book, is challenging people to look at the evidence, because, again, once again, it's very compelling. It's very powerful if you're willing to look at it. All right, I am talking with Richard Simmons the third. Uh, you want to find him at Richard E. Simmons 3 online. Great blog posts, um, great podcast. And today we are talking specifically about his newest book, Reflections on the Existence of God. It's a series of essays answering um, the big question, but not answering the big question out of some you know speculation, actually following the truth where it leads and saying, hmm, evidence is God exists. And so then what do we do with that? Because that's then uh, the question that follows on. Um, so I heard this question yesterday asked of a person on uh, on an NPR program, or might have been a BBC program. Anyway, I thought to myself, I'm going to start asking people that question. And so here's my walk-off question to you today, Richard. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? <clears throat> I think it's absolutely critical to recognize that as a human being, you are uh, designed and made in the image of God, and because of that, your life has great worth and value. Uh, It also enables you to answer the big questions of life. I have a section on uh, the issue of purpose and meaning. It's kind of interesting, Carmen, that that the big questions of life have to do with my humanity. The big questions are, who am I as a human being? Why am I here? And what is my ultimate destiny? Atheism has no answers to that question. They say we're a mass of chemicals. We're here for no specific reason. When we die, we go into everlasting nothingness. But to be human from a biblical standpoint, answers, it answers those questions um, just, I mean, very powerfully. Who am I? I'm a, <laughs> I'm a person created in the image of God. I have, great, I have great worth and value. Why am I here? To live in a relationship with him, uh, to glorify him with my life through a relationship with him, and it's in that relationship that I find purpose. And what is my ultimate, ultimate destiny? Uh, ultimately, the, the biblical answer to the Christian is eternal life in the kingdom of God. Amen. Richard Simmons, thank you so much for joining us today. Look forward to following up on the conversation in the future. You guys can find him at Richard E. Simmons. 
com. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. Now I'm alive and born again, rescued from the grip of sin. God so as we conclude this first hour, let me just encourage you to consider those big questions. The question of the existence of God. The question of who I am in relationship to God as a human being. And then what in the world am I in the world to do? So the, the, the origin question is important to answer. Um, the destiny question is important to answer. Um, but the life question and how I live now in light of the reality of God, in light of the reality that I'm an image bearer of the living of God, in light of the reality of the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In light of the fact that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, how then shall we live? You and I could live today uh, as functional atheists. We could live today as if God does not exist. Because, uh, frankly, we have so much autonomous power now as, as people. Um, in many, many places and spaces, people perceive themselves to need God not you and I recognize not only our need for God for eternity, to answer eternal questions, but our need for God in the moment-by-moment realities of this life. And so turn to Him. Turn to Him. The truth leads to the reality that not only is there a God, but by His grace, He has spoken. And so open the Word of God today. Spend some time um, with the Lord Cultivate an appreciation for who he is and how then we shall live as we follow Christ in obedience, by faith, with joy, proclaiming the coming kingdom of the living God. We got another hour up next. This is Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.